Hola y bienvenidos a la Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de la mejor cerveza y dad water. Son las mejores bebidas. That's right. This is Steve right here. It's a little infusion of tequila and water. No abate por no filter network. Miguelito San Diego and Will the Thrill Clark not with us today. But dead or alive, job or no job, here or not here, as you guys know, we come on here each and every single morning and we salute our boys properly. Yes, 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 yes. Woo! A very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this seventh day of December 2023, a day that will forever live in infamy. We'll get to that in a moment with the daily hustle electronic email communication that went out this morning. Spent a couple hours on this one, and I think it's important. But first, let's not forget that our title sponsor is Bet Online. That's right. The holiday season is off and rolling with the NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting midseason form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all of your wagering info with up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, predictions. Bet online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports, and not just the big four. Bet online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played, from MMA to international soccer to potentially betting on two frogs fucking. Bet online today is your number one online betting destination. Remember to use the promo code BLEAV, capital B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Also, don't forget about our partners at KT Tape. That's right. You could use the promo code in the upper right-hand corner, my left-hand corner. Hit that. It should take you directly to a link where I believe you get like 15, 20% off uh, from that link. And anyhow, hit the link. It's good shit, man. It lifts the skin up when you put the tape on properly. It promotes blood flow to the area, reduces inflammation. And gets rid of most aches and pains. KT Tape. Go ahead and pick yourself up some of the, I don't know, I think cooler creations ever made. I mean, who would have thunk that tape would actually be a huge healing resource? Lastly, to focus for this show, I got myself this shot of verge greatness a little lemon a little ginger a little cannabis made up a shot here of just pure fucking life man go to try verge 
Jory.com and ask for my dude, Jory. He will take good care of you. Whoa. Yeah, okay. And I'm not just going to sit here and pimp stuff and say, oh, I do this or I do that. Look, the bottom line is this is real. And if you're looking for sustained energy, good flow throughout the course of the day, keep your mind right. And the Lord knows I need it. Mm. <sighs> to uh, the greatest generation, by the way. And that is our next thing. Today's Daily Hustle electronic email communication went out this morning. If you get these emails, do me a favor. If you could share them with people, I just think it's cool. We have a tremendous open rate, which is awesome. So it goes out the thousands, several thousand open it. I see each morning, which I think is a thing that inspires me probably to keep writing more than social media, more than even the books that I've written. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm real proud of the three books that I've inked to this point and a fourth actually coming out very soon. But basically what the daily hustles are is it's a book every day and they're current up to date uh, with really just some insights on life. And I use some of my experiences as well as the experiences of others. A lot of historical references wrote one about James K. Polk the other day in the gold rush. And then today it obviously is about the day that will live in infamy. 82 years ago today, 7.48 a.m. Holy shit. We literally, because right now, if we're three hours, I believe we're three hours ahead of Hawaii. Maybe we're two. But at 7.48 a.m. local time, so right about now, the United States Naval Base at Pearl Harbor in Honolulu, Hawaii, was suddenly and deliberately attacked by the Imperial Japanese Navy Air Service. In total, 2,403 Americans lost their lives, while just about the entire U.S. fleet of battleships, destroyers, and hundreds of aircrafts were completely decimated. Within 24 hours, in a speech to Congress, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt referred to December 7th, 1941, as, quote, a day that will live in infamy, and declared war on the empire of Japan. Japanese Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto was the first one who planned the attack and apparently wrote in his diary, quote, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant. Well, Yamamoto was correct because the giant woke up and it was fucking on. The United States responded by rallying 16 million U.S. troops and fought in damn near every corner of the globe, helping the Allied forces eventually achieve victory in World War II. Oftentimes in life, it takes traumatic events to reveal the true character of people. On that fateful December 7th morning, Pearl Harbor literally became a living hell. Yet, in true American spirit, many brave servicemen and women rallied together to fight back however possible while attending to those thousands of wounded amidst all the chaos. 
The subsequent reaction of the American people willing to help any way possible eventually gave birth to the greatest generation whose selflessness, resourcefulness, and determined fighting spirit still to this day remains the benchmark for all other generations. Today, out of the 16 million Americans that served in World War II, only about 200,000 are still with us, and we are losing hundreds more by the day. That said, I just want to take this daily hustle to salute our World War II veterans and many others from that greatest generation who led with relentless actions, efforts, and attitudes indicative of everything the United States of America and our people should be about. Whoo! So, you know, each morning I get up and I used to do these in advance when I worked with my guys in Nashville and, and make it easier on them so they can load them up and so they're not just making this this pain in the ass thing that they have to do every day. And then when I stopped working with these guys, I didn't know what I was going to do with the daily hustle. Like number one, I had to figure out the email and how to use MailChimp. And and I was going to explore it and see how much of a pain in the ass it was. And then I was going to go ahead and uh, decide one way or another, because I think in life we have the choice of, and this is really precious, right? The choice of how we want to spend our time. Now, these things take time. And so when I'm spending a couple hours, say, writing these in the morning and doing the research on them and then loading them up and everything else, it can be very tedious. But I will tell you, as with the one the other day about the gold rush and James K. Polk, and now today is about Pearl Harbor, these are fucking everything for me in my life. And, you know, some of them are reflections, obviously, of things that I've accomplished or haven't accomplished, successes and failures and lessons and everything else. But to be able to write these and really take myself back, I don't know if it's a diary or or, what you want to call it, because obviously this isn't really diary-esque. But when I'm on the treadmill this morning, and I didn't get on till late. I got on like seven o'clock. So when I got on there and I was deciding what exactly, what exact angle I was going to take with this Pearl Harbor thing. And then I started thinking about the greatest generation. I started thinking about my uncle Wayne. I started thinking about my grandfather, John Burns. And, you know, I, I started thinking about, uh, I started thinking about my mom's parents and Nana and it's just a different time. It was a different set of rules. It was a different sort of people. And I do really truly believe that that was the greatest generation. Now, Tom Brokaw was the one that coined them that, but what was so great about the greatest generation was that They were selfless. They were humble. Yet you could see that they were go-getters and and hard workers. And, you know, we're on, and I mean, this this is a crazy number, but think about this. 
there's 200,000 left. And that's give or take, right? It was 250 in 2022, but we're losing 340 something a day is what they, what they estimated. They're also saying that the longest living member of the greatest generation should be around until 2046. They think that they will, if you use 1925 as a benchmark, they'll use 120 as, you know, the life expectancy. I don't know if life expectancy is going to continue to go up. You have to think with modern technology and everything, it will, but that hasn't necessarily been the case over the past few years. I think we're going to see a huge, you know, whatever it is uh, with life expectancy once we start figuring out the cures to a lot of these different diseases that obviously are taking many people way too young. But the thing about this is I, and I honestly, I just want to say thank you to that generation for continuing to serve as an example. And I know that I use them in, in my life. And I think about like oftentimes, and I go back to my uncle Wayne, who's this huge central figure you know, what would, what would Uncle Wayne do? And we ought to use that mentality more because they showed us how to act. And I'm not necessarily, I don't want to get into the details of today and what's going on and everything else, but man, I mean, what a, what an awesome generation and to see obviously this it's coming to an end with those people here on earth but they definitely have left a legacy that is alive and well and should be so long as we uh, the next generation obviously i'm like gen x or something but uh, we have to continue to champion them and 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 their efforts and their attitude and what made them quote unquote the greatest generation okay Breaking news. Juan Soto. The San Diego Padres slugger. One of the best young players we've ever seen in the history of baseball. Traded to the New York Yankees. That's right. The New York Yankees have swung a blockbuster trade. With the Padres for all-star slugging outfielder Juan Soto. The teams announced late Wednesday. In exchange for Soto and outfielder Trent Grissom, the Padres will receive a package of right-handed pitcher Michael King, right-handed pitcher Drew Thorpe, right-handed pitcher Johnny Brito, right-handed pitcher Randy Vasquez, and catcher Kyle Hagashioko. The 25-year-old Soto, who is entering his walk year in 2024, has been one of the top pure hitters in the game across his career. For the Padres last season, he slashed 275, 410 on base percentage with a 519 slugging, 35 homers, and an MLB leading 132 walks. Soto, for his career, owns a crazy OPS plus of 157. That means he's 57%. Above league average, and then that is across parts of six seasons. Over the span, Soto has earned three all-star selections, four silver sluggers, and four top 10 finishes in the National League MVP voting. Perhaps one of Soto's 
underrated qualities. This is durability throughout the COVID abbreviated 2020 campaign. And Soto, since 2019, has averaged 154 games played per season. While he's best deployed as a DH long term, Giancarlo Stanton's primary role with the Yankees, Soto easily does enough at the plate to make up for any deficiencies in the outfield with a career war of 28.6 already through his age 24 campaign. It's no stretch to say Soto is undoubtedly on the Hall of Fame track. The Padres choose to move on from Soto largely because of their desire to cut payroll after a disappointing 2023 season in which they ran one of the highest payrolls in MLB. Soto is in the final year through the arbitration process. In 2024, he's set to make in excess of $30 million. And perhaps, uh, and will become a free agent next winter. For the Yankees, the Soto edition comes soon after their deal to acquire outfielder Alex Verdugo from the Red Sox. This complicates the situation in center field as the Yankees are either getting to have to stretch Verdugo defensively in center or return franchise slugger Aaron Judge to the the up-the-middle position. All right, I'm going to stop here for a second. When it comes to the defensive positioning, you're going to figure that out. It's going to be fine. Alex Verdugo is a stud. Juan Soto is a franchise player. To get both of those guys in the past couple days, And then know that you have Aaron Judge, who easily could play center field. This is one of the better defending outfielders in Major League Baseball. Judge is that good. People don't even realize it. And then you add in the fact that center field, believe it or not, is actually easier to play than left to right. I went back and looked at some of my defensive statistics. And... They were very inaccurate back then. There's no other way to put it. They just were. Now you can get a pretty true measure on someone's defensive value. But I feel like back then it was just way harder because they didn't figure out how much ground you're covering and the outs above average and all this other thing. But just based on however they used to do defensive statistics, and I don't know if you're taking into account, you know, opportunities and put outs and all the other bullshit, but... My best numbers were in center field. I probably played less center than anywhere else. Maybe less right. I don't know. The majority was in left. But it just goes to show you that in center field, the reads are the easiest. It's just a matter of being able to run and go get it. So that was by far and away my favorite position. I'm sure whether it's Verdugo or it is Aaron Judge, they're going to be happy to move on to center. Okay, it says, perhaps a move back to the more demanding role raises some concerns about Judge's capacity to stay healthy. That is true. But it's worth noting that Judge was the team's primary center field from 2022 when he set the AL record for home runs in a season and won the MVP. As for Verdugo, he hasn't seen meaningful time in center since 2021 and only once in 2019 as a member of the Dodgers. Has it been his primary position? That said, the Yankees will certainly live with whatever center field arrangement they land 
on since it's meaning getting Soto's elite bat in the lineup. And you could always carry a super defensive fourth or fifth outfielder to come in and alleviate that situation as you get late into the game. So Juan Soto heading to the Yankees and what a fucking land by New York. It seems like they had to give up 19 guys to get him. But who gives a shit? He's that good. You add in the fact that he's going to make 30 large. The Yankees don't give a shit. They're just like, yeah, whatever, man. Give me Soto. The consistency of him has been remarkable. I remember last year, I don't know if it's halfway through the year, or quarter of the way through the year, whatever it was. And his numbers weren't great and they were down from where they were. And then just reading off the on-base percentage over 400 again, the slugging over 500 again, the OPS plus for his career, 57% above league average. This guy's elite. He comes with an attitude. He uh, is, by all accounts, an awesome, awesome kid. F.P. Santangelo has vouched for him. Oh, I think back in the day when I... I was asking Chip Hale about it. He was vouching for him. They're just, Kevin Long is vouching for him. Just saying this kid just wants to learn. That is super cool to hear. Now, if you're the Yankees, and, and why not on this? If he gets rolling and he's doing everything he should be doing, which is just being himself and playing like Juan Soto, and you're a quarter of the way into the year next year, Fuck it, man. Lock him up. Do it. Is he going to get Otani money? No. But give him his three, four hundred million, whatever it's going to be. I won't mess around with this. If this is a match made in heaven and things are going well, sign him up. Keep him there. You're the Yankees. That's what you should do. Now, the Yankees have always played by the theory, and even with Derek Jeter, of... We don't give a shit. We'll just wait. We're not necessarily looking to save dollars here and pinch pennies. I get that, but what happens is it starts just pounding you on the salary cap type issues, and you go over the threshold is basically what it is. There is no salary cap, but you go way over that threshold, and it becomes fiscally irresponsible. So what does this deal mean for the rest of MLB. This is an article from Mark Feinstein. And it says, get your popcorn ready. Soto deal ignites hot stove. Now we're talking. After two relatively ho-hum days at the winter meetings, the Yankees and Padres closed out the event with a bang, agreeing to a seven-player trade that will send superstar slugger Juan Soto to the New York. The Yankees have landed the big bat they were looking for while the Padres have added some much-needed young arms to their rotation, a deal that made so much sense for both sides was hammered out with one of the game's biggest stars changing uniforms for the second time in roughly 16 months. What does the Soto deal mean for the rest of the market? Here's a look at some of the ripple effects from Wednesday night's blockbuster. What's next for the Yankees, it says. Now that they've required the big bat and soda, the Yankees are expected to turn their attention towards Yoshinobu Yamamoto. 
that is the same last name as the Japanese admiral who talked about awaking a sleeping giant, by the way. And Crudelli, I get it, bro. He sent me a text this morning. This is not me. This is Crudelli. And my question to you is, is this a fair point? He says, no way Shohei Otani signs his massive contract on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. With a bunch of question marks. Oh, dude. I read that to Tara Crudelli. She was not, she said, how does he even think like that? Ah. Crudelli, I think you got a point, man. I really do. Because, look, Japanese and American relations, I think, have probably never been better. But there's no denying that that was a really rough time for both of us. Really rough. So, is it exactly the day that any... If I was a Japanese player, I'm like, dude, I'm not signing on December 7th. No way. This isn't anything I'm proud of. This isn't anything like... We look back and reflect upon it. It's just... It's like 9-11. It's terror, right? Well, they're looking back upon it, and there's nothing good about it either. So, I would... Go ahead and imagine that there's no way neither one of those guys, I mean, they're huge Japanese free agents, and we've been so welcoming with our Japanese players into the United States, and they've been terrific in the same way they have been with our American players. Again, this is all shit that no one wants to talk about, but I think it's real. I, 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 I just know I would look at it that way if I were Yamamoto or if I were Otani. I also don't blame Crudelli. For bringing up saying there's no way this would happen, right? And no, I I don't I don't think it would. I think it would be even if they did agree, you gotta wait a day or a couple to go ahead and announce that deal. But I don't think that's a time that the Japanese are proud of. I know it's not anything necessarily that you know we're proud of. I'm proud of the way we reacted as a country, and that's what I'm saying. That's just people of the greatest generation. But that that was a really, really, you know, difficult day and difficult time in our country. But like any other generation, and all the other things that happened, look, we can't control a lot of things that happened or didn't happen. We can only choose how we respond. So anyway, uh, going forward here, once again, the fall of this. So the Yankees are going to go after Yamamoto, right? And as they should. That is... An elite, elite arm. Having acquired Trent Grissom along with Soto in the trade with the Padres, the Yankees are likely to start Soto in left field, Aaron Judge in center, and Verdugo, who was required by the Red Sox. We talked about that. The Yankees are competing with a crowded field for Yamamoto, the 25-year-old right-hander who has won three consecutive Pacific League Most Valuable Player awards. Mets owner Steve Cohen met with Yamamoto in Japan last week. Now you're talking. Well, the Giants, Dodgers, Blue Jays have been among the teams believed to be pursuing Yamamoto. What a brilliant move by Steve Cohen. Yeah. 
Meet them where they're at. If that isn't a lesson for all of us in life, if you want something, if you want somebody's attention, don't make them come to you. Go meet them where they are. So that guy, we have this conversation about no filter where it's, look, this is an unbelievable content creation destination. I mean, we'll come on here. We will create content. It's kick-ass. You've got the banners now. you got QR codes you can put up. It's free. It's fucking unbelievable. It's really that good. It's a content creator's dream. I am a content creator. I know it. But if I want to reach big numbers as a content creator, that's what I got to do. We record, and then we go and meet everybody where they're at. So this goes to YouTube. This goes to Facebook. It goes to Instagram. Parts of it go to Twitter. You chop it up, and you go meet people where they are with the content, and then you allow them to consume it that way. Well, if you're trying to chase a player, shit like that matters. I told you my conversation last week, I think it was, with Mark Shapiro of the Cleveland Indians, where he's like, look, Bernsey, we won't be outbid. Won't do it. I'll go as high as I need to go to sign you. And I'm just like, what? I'm a fourth outfielder. He's like, I don't care. He goes, I want you on this team. He said, not only do I think you're good for our team and the production they can bring on the field, he goes, I want your attitude in the clubhouse. You're a throwback. And so to hear that and have somebody tell me that, that mattered. So Steve Cohn going over to meet you with Yamamoto in Japan, it's fucking brilliant. If I were a team that was very serious about signing him, whether it's the Giants, Dodgers, Blue Jays, get your ass on a flight and head out to Hapone. This is going to come down to the Mets and the Yankees, one source said. They both think they need him really badly, and they do. Get your popcorn ready. This could be fun. What's next for the Padres? Did you give me the offseason needing room to replace 460 innings? in the rotation from Blake Snell, Seth Lugo, and Michael Walker, all of whom are going to be free agents. The addition of Michael King, who posted a 2-2-3 ERA in nine starts after moving into a starting role in August. Wow, that's an elite arm. It gives the Padres a potential 3-4 starter to slot behind you, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove, while Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, and Drew Thorpe, who was the Yankees' number five, prospect and number 99 in the game according to mob pipeline provide back of the rotation depth for 2024 the Padres will likely continue to pursue at least one more starter this offseason though it's unlikely to be the one of the top of the market guys they will also need to address a hole at the back end of their bullpen it's free agent closer josh Hader will no longer be there san diego must also replace two-thirds of the outfield soto's gone and Grissom, uh, as well, will be wearing pinstripes. Korean star Jung Ho Lee is said to be high on the Padres' wish list, with one source saying a deal could come together quickly now that Soto's salary is off the books. All right. It says here, now on to plan C. For some of the teams pursuing Shohei Otani, Soto was viewed as a potential plan B if they didn't land the two-time American League MVP. Now, that Soto is headed to New York, that fallback plan is no longer an option. That could benefit Cody Bellinger. 
who now stands as the top overall hitter available on either the free agent or trade market, at least that we know of. With the Blue Jays, Dodgers, Cubs, and Angels all still among teams in the play for Otani. The runners-up will have to look elsewhere for an impact bat. A Bellinger-Cubs reunion, we talked about this yesterday, would make perfect sense. The Dodgers seem like an unlikely landing spot for the center fielder first baseman who played the first six seasons of his career with Los Angeles before being non-tendered by the Dodgers last winter. Yeah, it's time to move on from that. I, he had his ups and downs there. I get it. I mean, a lot more ups than downs, but I don't know. If I'm Belger, fuck him. And if I'm the Dodgers even, it's like, well, we just saw too much inconsistency. Right now, he's killing it in Chicago. Why screw up a good thing? Don't do it. Might the Yankees try to extend Soto? Now we're talking. This is what I mentioned earlier. After giving up five players for Soto, it would seem natural to assume that the Yankees plan to lock up the slugger on a long-term deal. That might be the ultimate plan, but it's unlikely to happen soon. The trade presents the Yankees with an opportunity to get a clear look at Soto for the next year, giving them a feel for how he fits into the clubhouse, how he handles New York, everything else. They may wonder about a player who likely is to command a deal worth at least $400 million. So, yeah, that's what I said. Look, make sure he's comfortable. Make sure he likes it. Make sure the guys like him. I'm sure they've done their personality and background checks already. It's not hard. I'm here the Yankees. All I got to do is call Kevin Long, who was a Washington Nationals hitting coach for a long time with Soto when he first came to the big leagues. That'll tell you exactly. Long, Long's not bullshitting anybody. So uh, look for the Yankees, I think, to push hard and trying to lock him up. I know it's 400 large, but damn, man. Okay, a little winter meeting roundup, and then we'll get into some college football. MLB rumors, the latest on Shohei Itani. Free agency at the winter meeting. Wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yankees, Padres complete the Soto trade. We got that. Giants, Padres. Interested in Bader. According to John Morrissey, you can include the two NOS teams as potential suitors for free agent center fielder Harrison Bader. Those teams have also been linked to Korean center fielder Jung Ho Lee. Bader is coming off a rough year offensively, but remains a skilled defender. I like him. Always have. And he has been up and down offensively. But Harrison Bader's a fucking badass. I'll take that guy on my team any day of the week. San Diego has its desired financial wiggle, wiggle room. So again, and talking about what's next for the Padres, the Padres are now have a rush that's missing one of the game's best hitters in Soto and the game's best closers in Hater and the Cy Young Award winner. That is true. Wow. You know what, though? What? They finished two games over 500 last year? That's on them. They need to make changes. Cashman to talk to Soto this afternoon. Yankee GM Brian Cashman, fresh off the biggest move of the winter to date, will discuss the Juan Soto trade with reporters this afternoon, 1 p.m. Eastern. So that's basically going on right now. Yankees are interested in Hicks. Count the Yankees among the teams who have checked in on veteran righty Jordan Hicks, who throws 9,000 miles per hour. Uh, the Yankees have, of course, thinned their pitching depth quite a bit in the last few days. Yeah, everyone give an entire freaking 
rotation and bullpen to the Padres for Soto. They traded three arms for Alex Verdugo and another four, that's seven, for Juan Soto. And they lost three pitchers in the Rule 5 draft. That's 10. It should come as little surprise then that the Yankees intend to add arms through free agency. How about Blake Snell to the Yankees? That would make sense. You imagine Garrett Cole and Snell at the top of that rotation? Look the fuck out. The Nats signed Senzel. Former Reds infield outfielder Nick Senzel is on the move. He's signing a two-year, $8 million deal with the Nationals. Per John Heyman, a former top prospect, Senzel has never found his footing as a major leaguer. He owns a 77 OPS plus across five MLB seasons in Cincinnati, and he was non-tendered. I like him. Always have. I mean, a 77 OPS plus ain't going to play. He's got to do better offensively. But I've always believed in his potential. I mean, we're several years in this now. The only question is, is it possible? Candelario to the Reds. Infielder Jaimer Candelario is on his way to Cincinnati. The Reds signed Candelario to a three-year, $45 million deal. They have more infielders than infield spots, however. And perhaps a trade from that infield depth is coming to boost their roster elsewhere. That would make sense. Padres high on lead with the Juan Soto trade complete. The Padres could pivot to Korean center fielder Jung Ho Lee. They're said to be high on Lee, according to MLB.com. Lee was Ha Seung Kim's teammate with the Ki Woom Heroes in Korea. The 25-year-old slashed 318, 406, 455 in 86 games before an ankle injury ended his season. Last year, he hit 349, 421, 575 with a career-high 23 homers en route to being the MVP. The Padres have... One only big league outfielder on the roster, only one, Fernando Tatis Jr., and they cleared approximately $35 million by trading Soto and Grissom. That's 30 for Soto and five for Grissom. They'll undoubtedly use some of that money for outfield help. All right, uh, something I found very interesting here. The college football playoff no longer wants to hear from critics after the Florida State stuff. What? A quirk of the college football playoff 10-year lifespan is that despite the system's general unpopularity from the mid-2010s onward, one could plausibly argue the selection committee had never truly missed on a selection before this season. Sure, quibbles were possible. Baylor and TCU in 2014, Penn State in 2016. But it seemed like the CFP was, for the most part, avoiding the landmines that had ruined the BCS's credibility. Then came 2023, Florida State's exclusion from the CFP field in the wake of a 13-0 season attached widespread outrage to the point where the company that stages the annual tournament seemingly wants to hear no more of it. The CFP used to have a page for general inquiries, but that page seems to no longer exist after being circulated among Seminoles fans on social media Thursday night. They took down the site, man. They fucking crashed it. It got a lot of pissed off Knowles, and I don't blame them. 
You know what would make logical sense here? If you took the Knowles and you took Georgia, who I think has as big of a complaint as the Knowles do, Georgia runs the table until you lose to three points to fucking Alabama in the SEC title game. And then you get ousted. Nah, not cool either. You got to do some kind of playing game. Really? I mean, that would be it. I would take the final six teams because you could pretty much stop there and then you bracket them up. So I guess it would be two teams get a bye on either end and then you have the four teams in the middle. So one and two would get a bye and I believe that would be Michigan would get a buy. I have to look at it. But that, like, yeah, why not do that? How complicated would that be? And remember this. Oh, we haven't planned for it. This and this. It basically would be adding one, maybe two more games, I guess. Remember 2020 when the whole COVID thing hit? And then they started, like, teams were dropping out. I don't know, on a Monday, saying, uh, let's just say BYU was playing Utah, and Utah's got COVID, and so Utah's got to pull out on a Monday. And then you have Wyoming playing New Mexico, and New Mexico had COVID. And then it's like, oh, okay. Well, logic would say, let's just have BYU play Wyoming now. Got two healthy teams. Let's do it. Cool. We'll meet you in Provo. And they did it. It wasn't hard. Now, I'm just using those teams as examples. I have no idea if that was the case. But we overcomplicate shit in our lives. If there's six teams that are worthy, and there are, let all six in. And then give one and two the bye and let three play five. And no, two play five and three play four. So that's just way too logical for this situation. All right. The tush push potentially being banned. Jason Kelsey had a perfect two word message to Roger Goodell about possibly banning the tush push. Philadelphia center Jason Kelsey's not losing sleep over a potential ban of the tush push. The Eagles brotherly shove version of the play has drummed up plenty of controversy around the NFL, mostly because teams inability to stop it. Kelsey addressed reports that NFL commissioner Roger Goodell wants to ban the play permanently during this week's episode of his podcast, new heights, despite how effective the play has been for the Eagles. Kelsey didn't seem overly concerned about the ban. Quote, ban it. At this point, I don't care. I'm over the discussion about it. We were really good at running quarterback sneaks before we did the push. I don't think it's a necessary part for it. 
It certainly helps. There's no question about it. I don't have the energy to care about it, whether or not it gets banned. We're going to run it right now because we're good at it and it's effective. And whatever they decide to do next season, we'll find a way to do something at a high level. Kelsey did push back on a pair of popular reasons why fans have suggested a ban on the play, noting that he hasn't seen an uptick in injuries due to the play mentioning that other teams haven't been as effective running the play as Philadelphia has. Makes a lot of sense. Quote, if they do ban the brotherly shove, what a great name. There will be a good reason behind it that the commissioner wants to get done, Kelsey said. Whether people agree with it or not, it is what it is, and we move forward. He even brought some stats to the table, noting that the team was 36-38 and on quarterback sneaks even before they started using the push. The tush push gets a lot of hype. But ever since Eagles offensive line coach Jeff Stoutland's been here, we've been pretty darn efficient on quarterback sneaks. So be careful taking that sigh of relief if you're awaiting a rule change. The Eagles seem fairly confident they'll still be dominant in short yardage situations regardless. I love it. Why not? Why wouldn't more teams do it? It's not hard. It's like a rugby scrub. I think it's fucking awesome. Banning that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, what's funny is you watch some of these teams in these really short yardage situations. And the ones that get me are where the quarterback, they're used to going out of the shotgun, gets the ball of the shotgun, hands it to the running back, and he's got to go, what, four yards, five yards just to get the first down? That's the one that always gets me when I watch that shit. I'm just like, dude, do the fucking tush push. Do the brotherly shove. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, onward here. What time is it? 11.32. Yeah. Time's winding down. Let's hit uh, hmm. one more thing here. George Brett has a documentary coming out tonight. I believe it's 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's a 90-minute documentary on George Brett, the competitor, everything about him. I'm going to do a alternate, alternate, alternative broadcast call on his fight with Craig Nettles again. I've already done it once. I can go back and try to find it, repost it or whatever. I'm like, dude, I'll do it again. It's so fucking good. This was during the ALCS where George Brett hits a triple. He slides in to third base and immediately pops up and punches Craig Nettles. It is one of the craziest videos I've ever seen. And so then both teams, you know, rush over. There's this huge melee. And the umpires break it up. And then the wild thing about it 
was that George Brett and Craig Nettles both stayed in the game. Nobody was ejected. Talk about back when men were men. And the league let them play. I mean, we've micromanaged everything now. We really have. And not to say that we should have guys fighting like that. I don't know if that's great for the game. But, hey, you're in the playoffs. It's the ALCS. You're the umpires. You're like, fuck no. Boys will be boys. Onward and upward. And they seem to have moved on and carried on just fine. So, yeah, check that out tonight. Also would recommend watching Pearl Harbor. It it was a fantastic movie. It brings us back uh, to a time that give us a better understanding of what people went through who were actually there. And I think provide some great historical uh, perspective. It's a great lesson for the kids. Those are the two things that we don't want to watch a lot of TV around here at all. Tara wanted to go to the nutcracker. She called me. She was so upset. She was, Hey, she was, if next week I get tickets to the nutcracker, will you, and you know, come with the family and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my answer was just, no, why? I, I, I'm not into the nutcracker. And she was so upset. And I, so look, if I'm going to sit down and, and watch something that's going to take three hours like that, it's going to be Pearl Harbor. It's going to be a documentary on a fucking savage like George Brett. The Nutcracker. No offense against the Nutcracker. It's just, ugh. I think I saw the Nutcracker when I was a kid. And my mom used to dress me up in some ugly-ass Christmas sweater and Ah, let's remember, like, it's giving me anxiety. Not interested. I love Christmas. I, it's, we 100% should be, I, like, I love this celebration of Christmas and Jesus Christ, Jesus' birthday and, and the, the spirit and the giving spirit. It's awesome. The Nutcracker? Yeah. Not so much. Just uh, my thoughts. All right. Everyone have a great day. We'll uh, be back tomorrow yeah tomorrow's friday be back tomorrow with another daily hustle that's about it to the greatest generation be raising one up and pouring some out tonight see ya